0: The first episode of season one launched to funereal numbers. I mean, the call that we, that we got was just like, I'm so sorry. But then something really weird happened, which almost never happens, which is from episode one to episode two, it shot up.
1: Welcome, friends, to Exec Producer. I'm your host, Noah Pollock. Every episode of Exec Producer offers a deep dive into one of your favorite shows from the point of view of both the producer who dreamt it up and the executive who championed it. Where the idea came from, the hurdles they faced in selling it, and ultimately how it made it to air and into popular culture. I've worked as an executive at four separate networks, and I've produced and overseen hundreds of hours of television, I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I hope to share some of that wisdom with you. So settle in, turn it up, and enjoy. And please also remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram at EP with NP. So with that, thank you again and enjoy the show. Okay, here we are. We're going. We're rolling. Uh, We're here today with two really beloved uh, executives, producers in our industry. On my right, Corey Henson, EVP alternative Fox. On my left, David Eilenberg, the chief creative officer of ITV America. And uh, here we are at the Fox Studios, Corey's office, gracious enough to host us to talk about a show that is not even on Fox. It's a show that is on... A- produced
2: by ITV America. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so we can speak Whoops. freely.
1: That was the <laughs> whole great. point here. We are going to speak about Shark Tank, a show that David was a major piece of when he was with Mark Burnett Productions, Corey over at ABC, and exactly my point in having the two of you come on and speak as openly and freely as possible. We are not drunk yet, so... No. That might uh, that might slow you down. A it's little early. Bit, but say whatever you want, and nobody can you know nobody can come after you. Um, but no, you guys are both so gracious to do this. I'm so excited to talk about a show that is now going into its tenth season.
2: Ten is it? Okay, yeah, that's amazing. Two hundred episodes. Well done, David. Thanks. You too. <laughs> Thanks.
1: Two hundred episodes, millions of dollars invested, are tens of millions mm-hmm. uh, lives changed. You know all the reasons that I think you would get into making the kinds of shows that we make but that you don't do right not the result that's typically produced by all this so um i would argue for everyone who watches everyone who i'm sure is a part of it it's a show that you can feel really good about so thank for you for sure absolutely thank you to you both so uh so let's start with how we start all of these shows uh which is the light bulb this was i know a japanese format but there was still a light bulb moment for bringing it to america and David, I would love to hear from you. What was the first time you heard about the format? What what got you guys to take it on and, and bring it to, uh, so, to the United States? Yeah, I
0: mean, the format before it was on ABC had been not just in Japan, but in Canada and in the UK. It was like a big sort of format through Sony. And if there were somebody else to have added to this discussion it probably would have been jamie kniff or holly i mean like there there were a lot of people sort of involved actually before either of us were because it was it was a format that had been sitting at sony for some time Uh, the reason we got involved as mark burnett productions was our head of international at that time scott crew had been invited by sony to sort of Look through their catalog of stuff and say, you know is there something um, is there something we could all team up on And he had been I believe obsessed with like the dragon's Den that was on in the UK and so pointed us toward it.
2: It was on our radar in that um, uh, John Sade, who was running the department at ABC at the time, um, was very much uh, kept his finger on the pulse of a lot of international formats and at that point people were feeling like everything had been combed over quite a bit, and um, this one was definitely on our radar, but hadn't come in. We were sort of waiting for it to come in with an Americanized, uh, you know, take, which I think we often think that when we take formats from somewhere else that we have to sort of put an American touch on it, and the truth is, as David can tell you, they did come into the room with a different twist on it and a different um, approach to the format, we can probably talk in more detail about that so, as much although, as we... I think so, although, I
0: mean, there were a lot of sort of flourishes that we had been thinking about. But what's funny is we, we went, ended up with, like, essentially the exact baseline mechanics that were in yeah. the previous format versions. Yeah. So just from a pure sort of, like, I guess gameplay is not exactly the right word with this one, but from a mechanics perspective... The format's the format, yeah, in yeah the
2: it, end. if I remember correctly, when it came in, it was, um first of all, there were a lot of people in the room. I remember that people, from the yes. pitch. Um, everyone wanted to to sort of have a piece of it from from the beginning and be in the room at least to to hear the initial idea. And if I remember correctly, it was, it was presented as like almost two half hours where in the first half hour people would come in and pitch. And then the second half hour, I think maybe we like saw the businesses through to fruition. But the shark screens, yeah, the the hallway with the shark screens were in the original pitch. I do remember that.
0: Although I will add that one thing that was contemplated was that those would not be screens, but actual tanks with actual sharks. And in fact, at one point... Jim Roush was researching what it would take to have that be the case. Um, <laughs> in the end, I think it's probably good yep. that we went with the screens. But uh but yes, I do remember that. Can you Actually, imagine? If oh, not only can I imagine, I mean, but like we were like pricing shark wranglers.
1: <laughs> good thing you changed the title from Dragon's Stand. But
0: right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah.
2: That would have been awkward. But
0: yeah, I guess there were some like big and small sort of format things that we discussed and tinkered with over the... over the. I mean, as you do, right, in developing a show. Um, and then oftentimes, after you've looked at every other way to do it, you're sort of like, well, there's a reason why... It-
2: why it works in yeah, right. 50 countries. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember some of the other things we had. We had... A, in the pilot, we had... Because um, it was something that we piloted. We didn't yeah. go straight to series. And we had a satellite stage where the... Um, we felt like the show needed a host because the five dragons or sharks were going to be these kind of unknown um, v- yeah. VCs or angel investors or whatever. And um, so we needed someone to root it and sort of be our through line. And so we had a satellite stage where they would get pre before and Yeah,
0: before they went into the tank and then after they came out of the tank, it was sort of like a...
2: Yeah, pre-game and post-game.
0: It was like a people's court bailiff type scenario. Or inter- hall interviewer type scenario, and yeah. it, uh, just, it didn't work. Yeah, we didn't end up using it.
2: Jody Applegate, we're so so sorry. Um, she she was probably that was probably the most major change
0: between the pilot and series. Between the
2: pilot and series, yes, yes. yes. yeah, for exactly. but,
1: but the sharks that you used in that pilot were more or less the sharks that
0: appeared in season one. I think they were exactly the sharks that we used in season one. Right, they were
2: exactly the sharks. Um, I remember. Casting the sharks and interestingly obviously Mark Burnett knows a lot of people who have a lot of money uh, who would have made great sharks so he wasn't recommending like people that he'd read an article about or seen a YouTube clip on like most of us do he was recommending friends and the truth is and a lot of people ask this I'm sure you get this question all the time like they are spending their own money and oh, yeah. They were doing, uh, at least as we had envisioned it. They, they were doing it, um, and as it was for the first couple seasons, for a nominal fee. So they weren't making a lot of money to come do the show, but they were all multi-multi millionaires, yeah. and they were using. They they truly do invest their own money in these businesses. So not only did you have to find people that were good on television and credible in that world, but had enough um, had enough, you know, free cash to invest into these businesses Um, and so yeah the first the one story I do remember is oh well but Kevin Harrington
0: was in the first season Kevin
2: was in the first season that was really the main the main main change change. yeah so it was the first season was Kevin Harrington Damon John
0: Barbara Barbara
2: Corcoran and then the story about Robert Herjavec and um,
0: Mr. Wonderful Kevin
2: O'Leary Mr. Wonderful is a David and and Mark Burnett Productions had sent us tape on... um,
0: The Canadian format. The
2: Canadian format, so that we could take a look at Robert Herjavec. And in watching that tape, we're like, yeah, he's great, and he's got beautiful blue eyes, and we love him, and he's going to be fantastic. But what about that asshole sitting next to him? And... That's how we ended up bringing it was both such of to the benefit over. of the show
0: that both I mean, that you guys made that call because I think it was a fluke, though. To, to it, the show at that point, and since then, um, they've incorporated sort of well known names as guest sharks, and like the sort of you know, celebrity name value evolved over time. But it was a brave and good choice to have um, people who were not publicly known in the states. Mm-hmm as our sharks, I, I think it gave it a lot of credibility. Um, but we had the virtue with those two of having two guys who had a relationship, had done the show before, like actually could sort of step into it and, and I think accelerate the chemistry and the dynamic of it. Sure, I mean, was that a, I would imagine a big
1: conversation at ABC, let's go after famous entrepreneurs or let's just go after really successful dynamic TV entrepreneurs?
2: Um, I think it was more about credibility Um, We didn't talk about a lot of big name uh, entrepreneurs. Mark Cuban was a name that came up time and time again, but he had a track record at ABC. He had done Dancing with the Stars and not made it that far. He'd had a show called The Benefactor that, you know, did, did okay. Probably in hindsight, it probably did like a monster rating, you know, what we'd consider today a monster rating, but... Um so there was a little bit of like uh, a stigma attached at the time. So it's sort of a name we put to the side. And I for for me, I think he ended up being the the real um, fuel on the yeah, fire sort of the catalyst that, that launched two. the yeah. show in season yeah. two, yeah, truly. Agree. But um but yeah, we didn't really there wasn't a lot of conversation about uh, big famous entrepreneurs. Magic Johnson was another person we oh, talked yeah. about. He had just spoken at a at a, a corporate retreat. Um, and that's obviously a really dynamic and and you know, beloved personality who who is already investing, you know in the in the community himself. Um, but those were really sort of like the two two big names yeah. that we that we threw out there and didn't, I think fortunately didn't come to fruition because I think it would have overshadowed the um, the unity and like and the yeah. chemistry amongst the the panelists. Um, and I will say I was, telling someone um, this story uh, a couple months ago when we were going through pilot screenings, scripted pilot screenings, which for anyone who hasn't experienced it is a week in May before all of the networks pick up their their shows um, everyone uh, sort of in the creative side and marketing and sort of the, the greater creative side of the networks gets to sit down and watch through all of the scripted pilots before everyone decides what gets picked up and what doesn't. And we typically do not screen unscripted programming with those shows mostly because of the timing, you know they're they're on an annual schedule and we just sort of deliver shows all year long. but Shark Tank happens to be delivered. Right around when we were scheduling screenings, and so we included it in our pilot screenings that I didn't year. Do any of this? Oh, you didn't? No. Oh, yeah. Sorry. We don't tell producers stuff like that because it makes them, <laughs> rightly so, very very nervous. So David I-
1: told all the producers when he was a team. Yeah, <sighs> right. <I'm> sure, right. <laughs> uh,
2: it's the only time in my career as a network executive that we've ever done that, and one of the big reasons is. Reality often is about those polarizing like highs and lows and it doesn't always play well with a scripted audience. You're also playing your pilot immediately following like the $12 million pilot of Lost and it's like all these beautiful scripted actors and gorgeous script and, you know, millions of dollars of special effects. Um, And I remember I was in the room where we screened it with Bob Iger and it was a very um, very, heated discussion because people felt like the sharks were being mean to these entrepreneurs who these people with a dream. And, um, and thank God, I think we'd actually already picked it up to series because we left that screening and we were like, Oh shit. Um, and I, we were like, well, it's six episodes, which is what the first season order was. And we're like, well, we'll do the six episodes and you know, we'll, we'll see how the show progresses. But, uh, that's so
0: funny. I had no and, idea. So but there were lots of near-death experiences on this show. Oh, that's just one more.
1: I'm sure. And I would say in your defense, it's 2009. I'm sure Simon Cowell was still...
2: Very much... That was the
1: archetype. And so to go in without that yeah. would have had a show that was too soft, yeah. right? Do you think today, sorry, we'll have come back, but, you know, jumping ahead to sort of current trends where Jamie Foxx hosts a show for you guys, Kevin Hart, you know, just had a show come out on CBS... Uh, the Rock, I know, hosted a show for you previously at, you know, at the Corey produced on. Just right. other Very, weird. Right. Yeah. Fold. Yeah. David you know, and I. obviously the huge panel you have on The Four and all the talent shows, would that same decision have been made today, or would it have been only Mark Cuban, Magic Johnson, you know, Ashton Kutcher, Richard Branson? Do you think that the network would have had the courage to go with mm. unnamed people today? I mean... Or not unnamed, but less, yeah. lesser known.
2: I, I would kill to have a Shark Tank today where there's where there is a simple universal hook that speaks to so many people. I think that shark tank is actually even more relevant today when everyone wants to be an entrepreneur than it was almost 10 years ago. And I'd love to have a cost effective show. And by I just mean cost effective in that there's not, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of talent fees on top of the actual production costs. Um, that doesn't rely on talent to launch, but relies on a simple and well-executed conceit. Like, I, yeah. I'd like to great. think there's
0: still a market for that. I think there is. I do think, though, in this day and age, it might have to be from executive producer James Corden so that you can market it. And, yeah. But, you know, I, I, think, I think, you know, to, to what Corey's saying, like, what network right now wouldn't want Shark Tank? I mean, you have um, participants who are themselves paid a nominal fee, um, who produce the prize money themselves, <laughs> and your studio doesn't even have an audience. Who wouldn't want that? It's like, you know, yeah. economically, it's an amazing show. Yeah.
1: So, so to that point, you know, yep. they're putting their own money in. What was the carrot that you dangled for the Sharks? Was I mean, they're obviously, they have the potential to make a lot yeah. of money if yeah. something hits. Was yep. that enough? I mean, they already have so well, much money. Well, and it's personal
0: brand building, right? I mean, and, yeah. I think, and then I think um, uh, as the show started to take shape, there was, I think, just a sort of philosophical buy-in as we started to realize that it was a show that could mean something to people in terms of promoting entrepreneurship and inspiring people. Like, it's a really feel-good show. And even in those moments where the panel can still be really harsh, they're, like, loved. For for what they
2: for their get out of people, yeah, yeah. But I do, yeah. I think to David's point, at least the the three um, American sharks were very, uh, and everyone that's come after, I think, is it is very brand defining. In like Damon John had a very specific um, brand that he an image that he was promoting, as did even um, certainly Barbara Corcoran uh you know amongst new yorkers yep. people she was already well known for her brand um and i think even kevin harrington as the sort of like the yeah. the t- uh, tv commercial
0: infomercial infomercial yeah. thank you yeah
2: guy so um and i think a lot of people that have come after him but yeah but mark was mark cuban really i th- was a uh uh well, Mark, Mark changed
0: the rules of the game on a number of fronts. He
2: did. He outsharked the sharks yeah. on a lot of occasions, and he really made them up their game. But if you remember, he was um, uh, he was only brought in for two episodes in season two for the reasons that I um, that I said earlier, and uh, it was sort of like a give, like, oh, okay, fine. Well, Mark can do two, just two episodes, and he sat down in that chair, man, and he. Lit the other sharks up. He would was playing games with them from like the first pitch, where yeah. he would like talk shit about the entrepreneur, so that the other four would go out, and then he'd come in with an offer. And they were like, "What just happened?" <laughs> it was, it was amazing to yeah. watch.
1: Right? They were playing checkers. He was playing chess. Exactly. Now they're all playing chess. Yes. Yes. All right. That, yeah. So I mean, David, you talked about some of the near death experiences for the show, and Corey, you mentioned just a second ago. Had you not ordered it to series, it maybe wouldn't have been ordered to series, but you did do the six episodes. What what happened? I mean, I, I remember sort of being aware that it came out and I think maybe caught some of season one, but I'm with you. It wasn't really until well, Mark Hume. I mean,
0: when we the first episode of season one launched to funereal numbers. I mean, the call that we that we got from Vicky was just like I'm oh. so sorry, but then something really weird happened, which almost never happens. Which is from episode one to episode two, it shot up, like really shot up. I think from like a one two to a one eight or right. something like that.
2: Which it's worth saying, also we would have we'd kill for a one two now. But no, no, right. Yes. But this
0: is you know some yes. time ago at this point. But uh, it
2: it had three different. I don't know if you remember. It had three different time slots in. So they, we shot six episodes. We ordered six we overshot because the show was shot very uh, modularly in that or modularly in that the Sharks were the same outfits for all of the tape dates and then we just shoot as many pitches as we can it took us a while to find the right balance of how many pitches could fit in an episode without being rushed and leave us time to do an update from earlier you know season pitches um, which it nets out to like four was the was the best average Um, but we'd shot Enough for eight episodes, as it turns out. So there were two on the cutting room floor that they. So we got two more episodes we squeezed out of the initial order, um, just based on the the overflow, um, and we had three different time slots for those eight episodes. So it started. I, I feel like it started on a Tuesday, and then it moved to a Thursday after like two episodes because there was some failure on the schedule. And then I think it moved to Friday and we all assumed like, I mean, even internally, I think we assumed that was it because Friday night was a wasteland. There was nothing on television at the time. And I truly credit Shark Tank with bringing Friday night back for broadcast because it wasn't until Shark Tank started
0: doing real numbers on, on Fridays that anybody else was programming it.
1: Right, it's a long time ago that TGIF was uh, mm-hmm. a was was the same. Yeah. Right. yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. So, And then from season one to season two, with, with all respect to to Burnett and everything that they were doing on the production side, that is really where um, Sony really, really stepped up and swung oh, into yeah. action. And I credit Holly Jacobs and, and Jamie Kniff and Zach Van Amberg and, like their whole executive team with really kind of, like, forcing us to do a second season. How they, so? What, did,
0: what Well, was because the they, they had all the data. So they had the track record of Worldwide how the show had performed in territory after territory. And they made a very persuasive case that this is a show that builds season upon season that season two is going to do better than season one and season three is going to do better than season two. And, like, on the one hand, of course you say that. Yeah, what a great um, argument. on, on the other <laughs> hand, I mean, this was as um, numbers-driven and uh, uh, clearly, like, um, convincing an argument of that sort yeah. that somebody could make.
2: They, they also made it financially compelling. Um, they played, you know, dirty tricks where hollywood put baskets together of all the products from season one uh, that had gone on yes really tug on the heartstrings strings that had gone on to to be a success and she would ship the baskets to uh all of the executives and the president of the network and so they really like came at it from all angles and um and you know together we all sort of lobbied for that second season which thank goodness we did um, Nonetheless, it did really fall to off. all
0: of us at a certain point. Yeah. And I also mean the two of us to start to find um, better known sharks to cycle through season two. Yes. Because the the notion was name value is going to draw some people in who haven't been there before. So we ended up booking Jeff Foxworthy, who we were in business with, for like two episodes. I mean, it was... Do you remember?
2: I had forgotten about yeah. the Foxworthy moment. Yeah. Yes.
0: So it was... Uh, it it was it was a funny moment, but we did get to season two, and it was in that process, as Corey points out, that Cuban got his two episodes and then sort of changed the complexion of the whole thing.
2: But you're right. Sorry, Foxworthy was the name that that put it over the top to Excellent. get us to the season yeah. two pickup, and and thank you to Fox, and thank you to Fox. <laughs> well, Burnett had just done. Um, Are this you smarter grader. than a fifth yeah. grader? Okay. And I had a, a good relationship with Jeff's manager at the time. And, and Jeff
0: legitimately is like an entrepreneur not, and invested in a lot of products, so there was a story to tell that made it make sense.
2: Uh huh. I remember going into a meeting with the then president at ABC uh, with a box of Jeff Foxworthy uh, beef jerky, and uh, so proving to him that Fox Jeff was in fact an entrepreneur and a businessman and did have all of these different uh, outlets. That Steve, it was. You Steve brought McPherson. a box of Jeff
0: Foxworthy beef jerky to Steve McPherson to get our show picked up. I did. Thank you. Uh huh. Yes, yeah, so it was the little show that could.
2: <laughs> it definitely, <laughs> def- to say the least, it yeah. was the little show that could.
1: And then at a certain point, too, right? CNBC came in and and that was, yeah, that, that was, was later. later on. That was Season
2: five yeah. or six. Yeah, but it's still was, ongoing.
1: And I think having just so many episodes
0: and a sort of critical mass, yeah.
2: now it's just, yeah. I've heard that it's one of their.
0: It performs really well for the for them. Um, uh, and I think it's an interesting show in that respect because, um, you know, not that much reality reruns in quite that way. Um, but I think Shark Tank, because it's so digestible and the stories are eight minute stories, um, it's perfect for popping into and out of, which is actually what you want when you're scheduling it in blocks that way.
1: And it's a game show. Right, yeah. there's yeah. a lot of game show elements there's a lot to of it. Play along, and a yeah. you know competition between these sharks, much like The Voice, really is a competition between you know all the Adam and, and Blake and, and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely, so.
2: it, it really does. Uh, the Voice really does mirror the format very closely. I mean, I'm not saying what it sounds like I'm saying, but it is. It is. There are a lot of similarities there, and uh,
0: well, I think the most the The deepest similarity between those two formats to me is the emotional dynamic of authority figures having to beg when they really want something or cajole or you know convince, and that was something that you hadn't really seen i don't think before those two shows, so like there's obviously tons of differences, less singing on shark Tank um <laughs> but uh but but I do think that is one one real similarity, which is. Um uh, authority figures on a reality show being made to seem more vulnerable because they want something badly enough to to ask for it, yeah What was it about
1: this pitch and this version of this pitch that made you want to do it? Because, as you said, the format had been kicking around, I mean, much like Dancing with the Stars have been kicking around, right? or mm-hmm. here at Fox Idol have been kicking around. like what was it about that moment in time, or did you just sort of feel? it's six episodes, they're obviously rolling out a huge red carpet. You know, I mean, did you see business as being a topic that could be really mainstream broadcast? Or just because nothing like that in this genre had really taken heat yet?
2: No, I mean, I think timing is everything. And, and we had a lot of sort of big arc series working on the network. And we're always looking for utility players, which is what we would have considered the, the show at the time, you know, standalone shows that aren't crazy uh expensive and still like tell a universal speak to a universal um yeah. conversation. I mean, and
0: unless I've got the timeline wrong, I think you had already done American Inventor. Oh yeah. Um yeah. and so on the one hand, we knew ABC was interested in the business space because of American Inventor. On the other hand, we almost didn't pitch you because you had already done American Inventor. Like, we were like, I don't know if they're going to do something like this again this yeah, I, soon. So it's so funny
2: thinking had, back. It was probably two or three years after American Inventor. Yeah. Um, but also it was the packaging, too. I mean, you know, sometimes it's the right idea. Sometimes it's the right timing. Sometimes it's the right producer. In this case, it was all of them at the same time. So between... um uh Being in business with Mark, which we weren't, which Mark, um, in his very uh, diplomatic, charming way, is the first person to remind you at a network when you don't have a hit show with him. He'll just make sure that you know that all the other networks already do. And so you should want one too. Um, And I say that with love because usually he delivers. I would say he's playing Uh, the Cuban Shark Tank game there. Yeah. 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 And so, so I'm pretty sure he actually opened the pitch with that, but because he had the he had Apprentice survivor, yeah, and fifth grader, yes. on Fox. So he did have a hit show on every network except for ABC. Um, and so between Mark and you know the the power of of Sony and and the tenacity of Holly Jacobs, which is tenacity is like a quarter of the word that is is deserved for what she does. Um, you know, in her whole group, it just seemed like the right package.
0: Yeah. And the brains of oh, the man here. No, on no, the left. Clearly. No. no. I clearly. was I was toting beautifully composed poster boards. That was
1: <laughs> Well, but going back to that, yeah. so if that's the opener for ABC, I'm sure there was a very different opener for everywhere else. Did you have other offers on this? Do you remember I what the market reaction was? I cannot
0: recall what the overall situation was. I think there was And I I only remember going to the broadcasters. I don't think at that point, you know, it it was really different than it is now in terms of just who you would think of for a show like that. Certainly, um, they jumped really fast and then we were just doing it. And like, you know, the flip side, not to speak for Mark, but the flip side of the speech he gave about uh, you not being in business with him was that, of course, he wanted to have his hit for you. So you know, they, I, I think you. it was an easy it was an easy decision to make once it started once it started rolling. Yeah.
1: Well, let's talk about the two of you, right? Was this the show that really built your professional
0: relationship together? Did you guys know each other well? I guess that's probably right. Right.
2: Yeah, I think so. It's probably it's the first time I think we worked together.
0: Had we done? There was one, like, game did show pilot me, that we did called host? Trust Me, I'm a Game Show Host. Was that
2: before or after Shark Tank, though?
0: But I think that was after. I think it was Actually. after. Actually, so yes.
2: And then yes. after. And then you did it after, after.
0: Um, and then I, I did that one after, TNT, after. right? Yeah. Yes. Um,
2: so this was the first time we really... Yeah. yeah.
0: It was a good one.
2: Really had a chance to work together. Yeah. it's. I will say we should also um, give a, pretty much all of the credit to uh, post-pitch and purchase and not messing it up with scheduling or marketing or anything, but Clay Newbill, yeah, who's run the show from the very beginning and has. Clay,
0: and then um, I would also add Scott Salyers, who's not with the show anymore, I don't think, but figured out a way it. to cast it, which yeah. in that first season was very challenging, as you might imagine. Yeah. Um, I think after season one, once entrepreneurs saw what it could do for their companies then it was more a matter of like sort of filtering and beating people yeah. off with the stick but like it 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 season 1 of any show is hard to cast this one yeah had its really particular we, challenges
2: we were convinced to the first season in casting cuz getting the batches of casting that would come through was always um one of our favorite games that would first come through at least on the on the network side it was first come to myself and Mark Bracco who was the other ABC executive and who like lived and breathed the show for the first four or five seasons that we were all there. Um, we would play this game of like, will they get a deal or won't they? He and I would be horrible business people because we were wrong on almost all of the pitches. We would put pitches in sometimes almost as like, you know, this is going to be the like William Hung of Shark Tank. Sure. And then
1: ugly Christmas sweaters. I'm yeah. Sure, right. Right.
2: And yeah. the, exact And then like you'd watch them go into the sharks and they would end up getting a deal somehow or the ones that we thought were no brainers. And I'd be, I was like, I would invest in that. And the sharks would just rip them apart. And they were, they just obviously knew the right questions to ask and everything. But like, we were so off in our assessment of like, who was a worthy business and sure. who wasn't.
1: But that doesn't, that speak to why it's such a fun show to watch, yeah. right? The play along the audience. Great. Yeah. Nobody knows anything.
2: Yeah. Right?
1: All, right, All right. So you guys make the show. It obviously, It lasts builds it thrives and now it's it's X it's zillion episodes later yeah. exactly but then you both leave and go on to other things Corey, you go to electus david you go first to tnt and tbs and you get the chance to work together again yes and how much of your experience on shark tank fed into maybe wanting to work together i mean the oh. tables were turned the roles were reversed i mean did they even come up yeah. or at this point you're just friends and you you know each other's work But, I mean, how much do you think you were evaluating, okay, I, you know, I know that Corey can make this happen. It's a
0: huge net plus in any circumstance to work with Corey. So that is said sincerely. Um, And I think, actually, having had the experience of being a producer with her as my net exec when the roles were flipped and have since been flipped again, it's... It's really, I mean, it, you can't ask for much better from a collaboration standpoint because you've literally been in one another's shoes together. Um, yeah. And that's just really rare. Like, I actually, I think I think you're the only person with whom I've had that, probably.
2: The, the back and forth, yeah. Yeah. It,
0: who, yeah, who takes it out on who? <laughs> it, it's D- always us against everything else, so... No,
2: David makes everything uh, better. He is um, patient and thoughtful, regardless of sort of what side of the conversation he's on and the reason that we're in business with ITV one of the huge reasons we're in business with ITV on this the new show the current show we have together the 4 it's, we'd been in business as Fox um, on previous shows like American grit um, and Hell's Kitchen of course but um, but this show specifically uh, the four there were multiple multiple producers who came in and sort of pitched their creative take on what the format could be. And it was David that really was the, the voice that solidified it for
0: ITV. That's so nice. Yeah, is she negotiating your next, uh, <laughs> what? next bonus here? Um, but, he, no, that's but I mean, all of that's true. And like also, I think um, it's just nice to build relationships over the course of a career where you know that somebody is appreciating the absurdity of a situation in essentially the same way you are. Um, and we have been over the course of these many projects in some fairly absurd situations. Yes. So yeah. um, I, I always appreciate that too.
1: Well, I say Corey, you took some notes. I see it there. Yeah. Uh, what, what would you, which is, what's the most absurd one that sort of jumps, jumps to mind? From Shark
0: Tank? Oh, geez.
1: Well, from any of the above. I mean, I think obviously this launch was Shark Tank, but your relationship is so much deeper. And with the chair swapping now three different times, you, you guys present a unique perspective <laughs> that I haven't had yet on
0: this show. I mean, and and some of this is only vaguely le- recollected. Like, I know at some point we were in a rental car lost in Fort Lauderdale looking for some place where The Rock was trying to help someone. Uh, um, yes. So that happened. Like, a lot of I stuff happened. To... Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'd forgotten about yeah. that. Yeah, um, that yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and Shark you know, the interesting thing about Shark Tank um, there there was of course all of the chaos of getting it up on its feet and people signing contracts last minute i mean like all the all the sort of usual reality show um shenanigans but i have to say then when we started filming that show for the stuff that was happening in the tank it it clicked really 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 fast um and i and i think the moment where I at least felt that we might have something special was I remember walking past um, just a crowd of like hard bitten crew who like would typically be either at their jobs or a crafty or chatting with one. Of, I mean like it was just sort of like one of those situations and they were all watching wrapped and silent the live feed of what was happening on stage. And I was like, if we can impress this crowd there's probably something happening, right? This very, very jaded group. Yeah, of, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah That's how People a good were sign. here because yeah. they're being paid.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Right.
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, okay. So, bringing it to present day, yeah. you mentioned the four briefly. You're doing that. I think it would be um, interesting to talk about the, the current state of broadcast TV. You also mentioned the ratings and how, God, those ratings the Cuban got all those years ago would have been a grand slam home run. That said, it seems like. There is, I mean, there's a lot of really great things to celebrate, I think, in, in broadcast currently, in broadcast reality. Yeah. I mean, you, you've had this chair now twice, once at ABC and, and, you know, here at Fox. I mean, what would be your sort of gut take on the state of the market today? Yeah, the metrics have certainly shifted. There's no denying it. But I don't know. It just, it seems like for all the doom and gloom talk... There's a lot of things to be happy about and and positive about and shows breaking through still, such as the show that you guys produce together. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I think your shows have to like the most important thing I can say when people are coming in the door or like when a new show is premiering is it has to know what it is. And I know that seems really obvious, but there's no room for general anymore or which makes it really challenging um, when you're at a. A broadcaster cuz just inherently you need to be broad. So it's the challenge is finding a way to find specific shows that appeal to broad audiences if that makes sense. And I think The Four really does that. It knows that show knows in a world that is potentially oversaturated with singing and performing shows, that show knows exactly what it is and it really embraces it. Yeah,
0: I mean I I think that's absolutely true, which is like the the milieu has to be more distinct and more thought through than ever. Like, it all has to sort of um, uh, make sense. Um, and and Shark Tank was one that did from the get. It didn't look like anything else. It didn't feel like anything else. Like, you know, though it took a minute to, to build its audience, um, you couldn't say, oh, this is just, like, fill in the blank. And, right. you know, with the four because it is a music competition show that exists on a shiny stage, like, we really had some time to... We had to take some time to think about, okay, well, what are the things that are going to make this feel completely different and yet true to itself? And it seems like, you know, we we found it in this panel um, and in the mechanics all sort of working together and also just in terms of a different approach to the musical repertoire than, than our competitor shows take. So I, I think that's... That's really what it is because, uh, you know, one of the byproducts of um, too much choice is if you're one of eight things, people are going to buy none of them because they're overwhelmed. Like they don't know which one of the sort of samey show to go to. They really are gravitating toward things that, that have complete uniqueness to them.
1: Yeah. I mean, I counted 12 variety or game shows that are airing this moment on broadcast television. Yeah. That's a lot, right? Yeah. yeah. And with really narrow slice differentiation. Yeah. I mean,
2: yeah.
1: as a network executive, how do you, you know, how do you distinguish yourself? And with this show, in particular, you mentioned bringing in multiple producers to get their take on it. Mm-hmm. I would imagine there was a concerted "we want to be back in the singing space, music genre" uh, decision conversation that went on here.
2: I mean, yes, certainly. From the day that I arrived at Fox. Uh, people were asking me what the American Idol replacement was going to be. And American Idol was still on Fox, knowing that that show was, you know, at that point, 13, 14 seasons in, no one was, was hoping for an ending, but everyone sort of saw a, (laughs) a trajectory, um, as all shows have when they come to, or, you know, near sort of the, the twilight of their trajectory. So yes, there was, especially at a place like Fox in the singing uh, performance genre, because we are a network that was built very much on the back of the success of that show, way predating myself, I think everyone was anxious to figure out what was either the next idol or the most complimentary sort of sidecar to idol. Um, and so I was tasked with that from, you know, the second I walked in the door and not for lack of trying, it just, we knew when we saw the format that um, Avi Armosa sent through, that there was something really special and distinct there. And then I think, you know, slowly you start to piece it together. David took a look at that same piece of tape that we saw, as did a f- handful of other producers, but very looked at it very sort of forensically and and pulled it apart and figured out what worked and where they could elevate certain elements and um i think we knew with the success of a couple of shows on the scripted side of the network that we wanted to really embrace um a more sort of youthful um contemporary urban audience um and uh and performance approach in a way that none of the other singing shows were doing. You know, Idol is wonderful and so is The Voice, but they were very sort of traditional and you know, a lot of country, a lot of um, very you know, top 40 contemporary like adult contemporary music and we wanted to do something that felt a little more youthful, a little more edgy, a little more foxy. Um, And this format with its combative sort of nature felt right for
0: it's also about, Us. you know, it's also about just sort of time and culture and understanding what's driving it. And so just as I think Shark Tank marked um, a change in what we wanted from our authority figures, like what was appealing to me about the four from the get-go is we are in a moment in culture which is about peer combat, right? And, you know, that's that, that was built into the format, so it seemed really exciting. It's, you know, LeBron versus Steph and... Trump versus Mueller and like there's, and billions, my, one of my favorite scripted shows. Um, so, so I I think we saw that really early and embraced it and, and it feels hopefully vital as a result. Well, it certainly does. I, uh, I've been asking everyone,
1: you know, beyond just the show itself, but the advice that they would give to their younger self. A lot of the people that listen to this, to this podcast are up and coming, right? They're the people sitting right outside this door They're the ones who want to learn how to sell a show, right? So they listen to the people who can tell them how best to do that. And especially with the two of you who have had such storied careers and many stops along the way, you know, I would love to hear from you a little bit, Corey, you know, kind of what your advice to to 25-year-old Corey would be starting out in this business today.
2: Dear. Um, Strangely, this is the second time I've been asked that today. Um, I think... Well, it's it's twofold, and I think they're um, conflicting pieces of advice. The first would be um, trust your gut, um, and I think you know ninety percent of the time, what your gut is telling you to do is probably right, or at least right for you in that moment. Whether it's um, taking a certain job slash show, I'm sure a lot of the people listening work, you know, work freelance and go from show to show. And there's always that excruciating decision point of, you know, should I do this one or this one? Um, Should I take this job or that job? Um, It's, you know, trusting your gut, whether it's the person that's sitting in front of you asking the questions, whether it's the conceit of the show, whether it's, um, you know, the title they're offering you or the, you know, the, the rate or whatever it is, it's like, You know if it sits well with you and you know if you're going to be able to pull into that parking lot every morning and feel good about it and feel right about it. Um, So I would recommend that you do that as much as possible. And saying trust your gut sounds like sometimes it can be a very reflexive thing. Um, So on the flip side, I would say listen more. Um, I found myself, especially in early pitches as an executive, sort of either prejudging the pitch before it even came in or judging it you know, like that, I can tell if pitch is any good in the first 30 seconds. And yes, yes, maybe you can, but shut up and listen for a little bit, because there might even be something that you glean out of that pitch or that conversation that applies down the road to some other idea that you're working on, but you missed it because you weren't listening because you'd written it off already. Um, Or
1: or, sorry to cut you off, but you may work with that producer on something down the line. You never know.
2: You may work with that producer for for so many reasons, I think. Um, It also just might not sit with you, but I've been in rooms where, um, you know, you go into the follow-up development meeting a couple of days later and you pitch out the idea and you're kind of, you know, sometimes even like people tend to short sell it because it's not something they believe in and someone else in the room hears something in it and they pick up on it and they run with it and then all of a sudden it starts making sense and it starts you know solidifying and it turns into something real and you didn't see it because you weren't listening or you didn't hear it because you weren't listening. So I say that's my like my yin and yang, like trust your gut, but also slow down and, and listen to sort of what's in front of you. Cause you might, you might get something out of it even if it's not uh, immediately, Obvious.
1: I
0: love that. Um, So, I guess for me, uh, it would be three things. Um, One is as a salesperson, try to understand what it is that you're actually good at and then incorporate that into being a salesperson. So, I started as a writer. um, And, you know, a lot of what I've found I do in sales is to try to. use words in a really compelling way and a way that people can repeat internally and will remember and essentially give a script to my friends on the buying side that I think they can use because that's what I was trained to do and other people have different skill sets that they can employ. So I think it's sort of like, you know, um, Glenn Hugel, who's one of our producers, was an actor and that comes through in his pitches and you get swept up in his performance and it's sort of like good to know what you're good at. Um, The second one is from Mark Burnett, who said, if you can't pitch a reality show in 19 minutes, either there's something wrong with the show or you're pitching it wrong. Um, So I think that's really, really good advice that has always stuck with me. And then the third, if we're really talking about people who are starting out, and it seems so obvious, but never pitch a show by talking about how another show sucks. Because like the person you're pitching to knows somebody who's on that show, or maybe worked on that show, or now doesn't trust you to not say that about their show. And it's crazy to me how many people will still think that they need to promote their own product by running somebody else's down.
2: That applies to, I think, across the board to almost everything in production. No, but, I mean,
0: you're
1: absolutely right. I think the not them is a terrible argument in anything. What do you stand for? Why are you great? Yeah. Right, even if that other person is terrible or show is terrible.
2: That was my, because it's always in casting where you have like, you know, you have Noah and David. And I'm trying to tell you like why David's so amazing because I'm trying to get him through. But then David might fall out. And now I've just shat all over and I no, I'm like, no, 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 but Noah's really great. And they're like, yeah, but yesterday you were telling me how badly he sucked. So um, no, you don't. But I'll you know forgive what I mean. you. Yeah, yeah.
1: You know what I mean? Anyway.
2: So uh, I think that's a good.
1: No, I get it. I love it. Thank you. I think it's really, really sage advice and I appreciate that. So um, I need to ask you something though, Corey. Oh,
2: yeah.
1: As a, a, you know, esteemed podcast wife, yeah. <laughs> my wife would like to know what sort of perks might come her way, you know, sitting in that kind of a role.
2: Absolutely nothing. Um, no. I think, and I'm sure you started this podcast for very different reasons, but my husband started his with his partner, who has been his partner and closest friend since college. Go So Bears. it's been a couple years. Go, go Cal. Exactly. Um, uh, they started theirs as a therapy of sorts. Because they worked so closely together for so long, they needed an outlet to sort of like officially yell at each other. And they're really entertaining when they do it. So they thought, you know, why not sort of send this out to the masses? And by masses, I mean like probably the thousand people that are listening. But he's never invited me on his podcast. So, and I've asked. So I couldn't really tell you what the perks are other than I do like listening to um their podcast while I'm hiking because then I I like hearing his voice um when he's not there so you can tell her like she can listen to it when you're you know when you're out of town or dead I was gonna say gone but dead (laughs) um to, to remind her of how wonderful and um and brilliant you are
1: I knew there were no perks. I just <laughs> wanted
2: an in
0: to get you to say publicly that you've never been invited on your husband's podcast. Never
2: been invited. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think one perk is that we can invite you and Mrs. Pollock to appear on Podcast Wives, which is a docu soap. We're no. <laughs> I'm in.
2: The Podcast oh Wives God. of Los Angeles. That's right.
0: Bravo VH1
1: bidding war coming your way. So I love it. Thank you both so so much. Thanks, no. Go Thank get you. your screening.
2: Thank you. It was really was appreciate so much fun, it. All right, thanks.
1: So there you have it, the true story of Shark Tank. Thanks to Greg Mercer for creating our show art and to Chris Carmichael for composing our music and for all things technical. You can find their respective work at gregorymercer.com and christophercarmichael.com. Thank you to my guests, Corey Henson and David Eilenberg, and to my family for all of their wonderful help and support. Also, please do subscribe to Exec Producer wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram at EPwithNP. And since collaboration is at the heart of this project, I'd love to hear from you, the listeners. Please reach out with what you liked, what you didn't like, and any ideas for future episodes. So thank you again for listening, and please come back next time. I'm your host, Noah Pollock. Choose kind.